Hello and a warm Mancunian welcome to you today. I'm Deepa Thomas Sutcliffe, your host, and it's an honor to share Season 7 of the Meet the Mancunian podcast Social Impact Stories from Manchester with you. This season is all about celebrating the stories of our local changemakers and the profound social impact that they are having. Every Tuesday, I shine a spotlight on the incredible individuals weaving the fabric of our community. From grassroots heroes to local legends, their stories are the soul of Manchester. Whether you're tuning in on Apple, Spotify, Google, or www.meetthemancunian.co.uk, get ready for a season that showcases the incredible social impact within our community. Welcome to the first episode of Season 7 of the Meet the Mancunian podcast, Social Impact Stories from Manchester. Passionate about supporting the youth? We hear from Nick Buckley, author and mayoral candidate, in this episode. I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Nick Buckley, author and mayoral candidate. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be talking on a Monday evening, and it was also nice to know that we have a common passion for collecting masks from our travels. So at, at some point, we should exchange notes about that. I'm sure there'll be lots of interesting stories you can tell. Tell us first how you found your passion for supporting the youth. Where did that come from? I fell into working with young people. I was in my 30s, been self-employed. I'd worked in Manchester Airport. I'd went traveling around the world a couple of years, came back, needed a job, and ended up with a job at Manchester Council. Working with young people and stopped getting involved in crime. And I excelled at it. And the reason why I excelled, because I was one of those kids single-parent household, living on a council estate, surrounded by crime and making poor decisions. And I could relate to those kids. And I think my biggest fit was I didn't take any BS. And before me, we would have early 20s, university-educated women who came from down south. He didn't know these boys. who didn't know what their lives were. And I came along and I was different. Like I called it tough love. I was hard on them because I wanted the best for them. And when I saw them or heard them making mistakes and lying to me and lying to themselves, I didn't take it. And I called them out and I told them and I involved their parents. And that's how I got involved. And this was nearly 20 years ago. And I think the best stories come from that lived experience because you knew exactly that they needed that tough love. And are there any current projects that you're involved in you'd like to share? At the moment, no, I don't have time. I've taken a year off working to run my mayoral campaign. But before that, when I left the council, I set a chapter up called Mancunian Way. So the word Mancunian, you will know. It means somebody from Manchester. And as you also know, Mancunian Way is a motorway. It's the motorway that goes through the city centre. It's the only motorway in the country that has a name. Every other motorway just has a number. And the reason why I picked that name for my charity is my dad built it. My dad was an Irish immigrant in the 60s. He was a labourer and he worked on building the Manchurian Way. Hence why I named the charity that. And the charity extended the work I was doing at the council before I was made redundant. And I don't know if you've ever worked for a big organization or worked for government, but there's so much you can't do. 
There's so many rules to follow. There's so many procedures. And I got tired of the council because there were so many things in my way to make a difference. So when I left and took redundancy, I used that to set chapter up. And I wanted to be different. I wanted to make a real impact on those streets with young people. And that's what I did. So the charity now is nearly 15 years old. It's a multi-award winning charity. I've got a bookcase full of awards, some national awards, regional awards, of government, of the police, of councils. We've made a huge impact. And we've made some serious discoveries and had some great results, such as we've stopped 15 girls being raped. We've stopped one boy being raped. We've helped over 100 young men. We've pulled them out of criminal gangs and stopped them going down a life of crime, as well as a more lower level stuff, such as stopping kids smoking cannabis or making kids understand. If you get a criminal record today at 15, you might think, who cares? But that might be enough to stop you getting a job you want in 10 years time. If you get a criminal conviction for smoking cannabis, that's enough for you to be refused a visa to go to America to take your kids to Disney World when you're older and you've got family. So do you want those barriers in the future for silly mistakes you make today? The reason why they're making these mistakes, number one reason is no fathers in the home. I didn't have a father in the home. I had to figure out my way in life by myself. And it's hard work when you just need a better guidance. You need someone to have your best interest at heart and not worrying and they're using you, what they're trying to get out of you. Sometimes you need that positive male role model. That's what fathers are. And I wasn't trying to be someone else's father because you can never replace that. But what I was trying to replace, and with the charity as well, was we're trying to be that advice you would have got at home 30, 40 years ago, and now you don't, and you're having to make it all up as you go along. But if you make it up as you go along, you're bound to make mistakes. And I want young people and kids to avoid making those mistakes. The fact that your father was part of our team that built Mountain Bay, that's such a lovely way to pay tribute to him by leaving the charity after him and the work he did. Thank you for sharing that, how you support the youth during their vulnerable times. It's really important. Are there challenges that you face in this journey? You've talked about the, the board losing confidence in you. It's obviously one challenge, but... More broadly speaking, in supporting the community and working with the youth, have there been challenges you've had to navigate? Loads of challenges, but nothing that unexpected. Raising money is always a challenge. We employ staff. Things cost money. People say to me all the time, oh, you don't need to pay staff because you can get volunteers. You can get volunteers, but the work we do, specialist work, it's like saying you don't need doctors or nurses. You just get volunteers. No, these are specialist jobs. And you need specialist skills to do it. So raising money is always an issue. Other issues will be sometimes the young people themselves. It's so disheartening when you're watching a young person who you've engaged with the most, who you personally like, and you can see them making all the wrong choices. And you keep advising them and you keep warning them, this is going to lead to this. And they won't listen to you and they end up getting in trouble or something else goes wrong. That's disheartening. But the Silver linings that I tell my staff is our engagement was just at the wrong time. Maybe we can sow the seeds. So after they make a mistake, our words of wisdom may revisit them a year from now, two years from now. It's never wasted. We just weren't successful at the time. And my charity has got a policy and we call it 
no last chances. So we, we never give anyone our last chance. You can mess up with us time and time again. And do you know what? We'll start all over again with you because I don't want to buy anybody off in our society. It just means you weren't good enough as a support worker or they're just not in the right frame of mind. But there might be a year from now, six months from now, so you start all over again. I love the problems we have. Well, be some of the services like council, police, housing associations, they don't understand the work we do sometimes and trying to make them understand. Sometimes they think you're medical workers. We've paid you to work in this area. It's been three weeks. The problems are still there. We can work in this area for two years. The problems may still be there. We're not magicians. And then sometimes they want you to get all the kids off the streets. If they live in that area, they should be allowed to socialize on the streets. They, if they want to socialize where they live, that's fine. What we need to do is make sure they're behaving in an appropriate manner. We're, we're, we're not here to clear people off the streets. That's their neighborhood and that's where they want to hang out. Fine. If they're misbehaving, we need to let them know their behavior is not acceptable. But then being on the streets is perfectly acceptable. Like they're very much about the no last chances philosophy. You're absolutely right. Great advice, but at the wrong time or the wrong mindset for the individual concern with foreign deaf ears, but at another time, the person may be more receptive. And sometimes people need to find their own lessons, having yeah. lived the experience as well. You've also written some books. Do you want to talk about that? I've written three books now. One's not been published. One's going to get published spring next year. I just haven't got time yet to publish it. But the first two books are really about personal responsibility. That, that's what we're lacking in our community, in our country. It's what we're lacking across the West, actually. We don't have these problems from other countries. Personal responsibility is still something to be desired, something that is still pushed upon people by family, by friends, by community. We've lost that in the West now. So the first book is called Lessons in Courage. And to people who don't know, this is a long story, but I'll make it short. I got into trouble in 20 by criticizing Black Lives Matter because they'd just come onto the scene. I'd heard them for the first time. I did a bit of research and didn't like what they were saying. So I wrote a blog about it, about Black Lives Matter, and the world turned against me. This was PBLM. The board of the charity I founded panicked and sacked me over email, called me a racist and an artist, and I decided I'm not having that. So I fought back. I made the whole board design in disgrace, and I took, control back again of my charity. And then I've decided to write a book about that experience. The first couple of chapters is about what happened to me. But then the book expands then about why I fought back, how I had the courage and what lessons I'd had in my life. I mean, I'm nothing special. I've not been to university. I don't call myself an intelligent, educated man. I've wasted decades of my life messing around, not doing anything. So I'm no role model. But some of the things that happened to me in my life gave me the strength and the courage to fight back. Such as when I was at school, up to being 13 years old, I had a stutter. That's not nice growing up in a council estate where you stuttered. I was the butt of every joke and life was hard. I was never a victim, but I overcame that. I've had a gun pointed in my face when I worked in the shop and we were robbed. I've got 90 stitches in my head where I was beaten up with iron bars. When you've got people online calling you hurty words, you've got to realize that's nothing. We've all overcome worse than that. So I wrote a book, What Happened to Me, and then gave advice 
about how we need people to take more personal responsibility. You're the captain of your own destiny. Don't wait for the council. Don't wait for the, the government to improve your life for you because you know what? You've been waiting a long time. They won't improve your life. And they may give you some free stuff, but every time they give you free stuff, that chips away a little bit more of your personal responsibility. And that's what the first book was about. The second book went on from there. The second book is called The Making of a Beggar. And that really carries on from, we've always got our hands out now, wanting for some, one for nothing. To the states, to the welfare system. It's never my fault. I can't afford a new mobile phone. It must be someone else's fault. Why don't benefits pay me a decent amount of money so I can live on benefits? And we're always looking for someone to blame. And the only person to blame in our lives is ourselves. Now, bad things can happen to us. You may be born into a family with poor parents or drug addicts. You might get taken into care. That wasn't your fault, but you've got to deal with it. You may get cancer. That's not your fault, but you've got to deal with it. And we're becoming a nation of beggars where we're expecting other people to solve our problems, to give us money, to give us things. If anything, we're getting more and more unhappy even though we have more and more stuff given to us. We're richer than we've ever been. We're richer now than the richest person in the country 50 years ago. We've got every smart technology, regardless of what people tell you. No one in this country is hungry, it's a myth. But yet we're more and more unhappy. And the reason why we're more unhappy is because we're not taking control of our lives. We're turning slowly into slaves with our hand out, waiting for something. Prove our life or give us something. And I want people to take back that responsibility and make themselves secure and happy. It's a very interesting point about personal responsibility and the role of society, the government, community, charities, uh, and how we all navigate that. And obviously that's different for each person based on their own context. What's the impact you would say you've made so far through the charity and through your books? Through my books, probably not a lot because nobody buys them. I probably sold a couple of hundred copies of each book. And I grant that I'm no Stephen King, not selling millions of copies. But through my work at the council and my work on the charity, absolutely huge impact. So like I said before, I've stopped at least 15 girls being raped. If that's not an impact, I don't know what is. I've taken dozens of knives off young people and convinced them to hand them over to me. That could have saved someone's life. And it also could have saved those young people getting involved in night crime and going to jail. And then when you look at the lower level stuff, the amount of young people we've helped get jobs, got benefits, walk away from gangs, walk away from crime, understand that they're the captain of their own destiny. Some of this work takes months and months. We're not miracle workers. One chat with me doesn't change your life. Speaking to me over three, four, five months might change your life. I don't want this to sound like it's easy. It's not easy. We have more failures than successes, but we've got to concentrate on the successes. But if we can talk to a young person and get them to understand that their life is going down the wrong path and make them and make them see how it's going down the wrong path, they then can make decisions to change their lives. I can't change their life for them. I can't be there all the time with advice and guidance because I won't always be there. My role is to empower them make them see the opportunities available to them so they start making better, more positive choices and they've got to improve their lives. All I'm doing is holding a map to success. 
they're the ones who decide it's up to them. I just always give them the help and advice they need. And sometimes they make wrong decisions. And sometimes they'll make what I think is a wrong decision. And it turns out that wasn't a wrong decision. They were right. And it did lead to something better. Humans are complicated. I like that very much about providing a map to success and then each person being the explorer and deciding how they take that map, right? They may take the easy route, the tough route, or the different path, right? The road rest travel. And we need to remember, there's more than one path to success. So it's about showing them the map, giving them advice so they can, they can make their own way in the world because the way I would go in life doesn't mean it's right for them. Absolutely. How can interested people reach out to you and learn more? Where can they find you online? Is there a website? Is there social media? I'm on virtually every social media. So if you just look for Nick Buckley MBE, then you'll find me. So I spent a lot of time on Facebook, Twitter. I've recently joined TikTok. Uh, but I'm on Instagram. I'm on everything. I'm posting every day, many times a day about my mail campaign, but also about social problems. I discuss a lot about knife crime because it's getting out to hand now across the country. And the problem is politicians are too cowardly to do what needs to be done to clamp down on it. You might not like all my views if you tune into my social media, but all my views come from 20 years working the front line and seeing what works and having the people we work with, having their best interests at home. That's what I push all the time. Thank you for sharing that. What advice would you have people looking to start a similar movement in another part of the world or another part of the UK? How do they get started? My advice would be start something now. Don't wait until it's perfect. Don't wait until you've raised the money. Don't wait until you've bought the building. If you're waiting for it to be perfect before you start, that just means you're never going to start. It will never be perfect. And you're never going to achieve everything you want to achieve the day you start. It takes years to build up. If you want to make a difference where you live, then start something. It can be as simple as joining your church, your temple, starting a little youth club up, finding a building or finding a room in the building that you can get for free or get for a couple of pounds a session. Just get started. Get doing things. Because the more you do and the more you speak to people, the more you're active and you're on social media, more opportunities will come your way. You then will meet other like-minded people who are doing things and you connect. But I hear so many people who tell me their big ideas of what they want to do to tackle social problems. And when I ask, oh, when did you come up with this idea? 17 years ago. And what have you done about it? I, I'm still planning. If you're planning over 17 years, it means you're not going to do anything. And people do those things. It makes us feel better. It makes us feel we're part of the solution because we're working towards it. If you're not active, it means you're just conning yourself. You being active in a tiny way is better than you planning for 17 years for something that's not going to happen. And if everybody, there's 8 billion people in the world now, if every one of them did a tiny amount of good work and you add up those 8 billion, that's a tsunami of good work across the world. So don't worry about changing the world and changing where you just change one or two people's lives near you. And if that's all you do in your life, you get thumbs up from me because that's 10 times more than anybody else will ever do. Thank you for sharing that. That is really great advice, both about getting started as well as, uh, you know, uh, like you said, doing things near you, looking to impact community positively and 
to do so in a way that really inspires other people as well. An opportunity now for you to talk about in things that I haven't asked you about anything coming up in the next few months. For me at the moment, it's just my Marvel campaign. But this is not a political podcast, so let's not get into that. The, the elections are May next year. If you check me out on social media, you see all the policies I'm running on. It's, it's basically what we've talked about. It's, it's about personal responsibility. And again, if you're going to vote for me because you think I'm going to save your life, I'm not the man for you. I'm, I'm going to run a Marvel administration that's going to give you more and more responsibility of your life and put it in your hands. You might not like it. You might not want the responsibility, but to a certain extent, I don't care because that's where it should be in your hands and you need to start making better decisions for you, for your family and for your community because we've been relying too much on government to improve our lives. And I can tell you now for a fact, it's not working. No one can say it's working. We're becoming unhappier, more violent, more fragmented, and it's not going to lead to a good place unless we start changing it. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. And obviously, good luck for the campaign and all the good work that you're trying to do. And now more to the signature questions I ask all my guests. Can you describe the Mancunian spirit in a word or a phrase? Like you have, I've done a lot of traveling. I've been to countries that people have never heard of. And everybody is virtually the same. Everybody has the same dreams, the same passions, and to a certain extent, the same aims, because we were the same. And people like to say, oh, in Manchester, we're different. In Bombay, we're different. We're not. We're virtually all the same. And the sooner we realize that, and the sooner we work together better, and we start sharing things more, the better world we'll live in. It's no different from the person who lives in a small Nigerian village who wants their children to do better in life, who wants a little bit more food in the cupboard, who wants to spend time with their mom, dad, brothers, sisters. We're no different. What you said is very true. One of my favorite authors, Agatha Christie, says the same, that there is nothing new under the sun. Human nature is the same. And I think that's why perhaps people are listening to this podcast in so many countries now, because common issues face them, whether it's homelessness, whether it's uh, sexual violence, whether it be suicide prevention or mental health. So many of these resonate in any part of the globe, and you're absolutely right about that. Can you share a Mancunian who inspires you and why? I'm not one for idolizing other people or needing to look up to somebody. I've always been very strong-headed, single-minded. I've always kept my own counsel. I've never needed other people to tell me this is right, this is wrong, you're doing a great job. I've never needed any of that. I would have to say my mum, because I was about to say that my strongest thing in my personality, I think, is I know right from wrong. How do I know right from wrong? I was taught it as a child. And that's how, that's how I've always lived my life. I know right from wrong. And lots of people say, as a man, or maybe as a woman as well, but as a man, you need a code to live by. You need rules to live by. If you don't have rules, then life is very complicated because everything you do, you have to make decisions all the time and it wears you out. Hence why we need a framework of rules so we don't have to worry about everything. We know we need to do this. We don't have to see and work out and we just know right from wrong. And that's what I was taught. And I've just always followed that. So I would say my mom for teaching me that. 
making me a moral person. Thank you for sharing that and shout out to your mom because absolutely <laughs> this is such an important thing, having your personal creed, all your values, your ethics which guide you and help you navigate the many challenges life throws at you and all the decisions one needs to make. And that's absolutely right. What's the most important life lesson you've learned so far? Tell people all the time. One of the comments I get off people is, you're so confident, Nick. You, you know what you're talking about. You're confident. I wish I was more confident. And I tell them a little, see, there's no such thing as a confident person. There's only two types of people in this world. Confident people and people who pretend to be confident because everyone's unconfident. I do really well at hiding it and masking. I'm just as worried about all those issues as everybody else. I'm just as worried about making fear of myself, being found out that I'm not as clever as I think I am. That's is the, is the life lesson. Is be much, Don't think you're amazing because then you're going too far then, then you're becoming conceited. But give yourself credit and you build up that credit by achieving things. So you don't have to set a charity up like me and do things. But start achieving little things. What are the things you're not doing? And it might be, when I was told to do this by my boss, and he said it very rudely, I didn't say anything to him. Next time, say something to him. I know you've asked me to do that, but when you speak to me like that, it, it upsets me a little bit. And that will give you better confidence. When you walk into a room, have your head up high and your shoulders back, because if you portray your confidence, people will respect you more and treat you as a confident person. Look people in the eye. Don't do things you don't want to do. Use the word no. No is one of the most powerful words we have in the English language. Excuse me, can you? No, don't explain yourself. You don't have to explain yourself to anybody. Just say, no, I don't want to. And once you start achieving some of these little goals, you then over time will come more confident. But don't think that these people you're looking up to who look confident are because they're not. They're just hiding it better than you. So true. All of us suffer from imposter syndrome in some form or fashion. Thank you for sharing what you do. And I guess a shout out to all of us to step up more and have more faith in ourselves. But I also believe as a philosophy that the universe is listening. If I say I'm confident this is going to go well, I think the universe will make steps happen so that things don't go well. So it's a bit of how, how much do you put out of that confidence and... Fake it, it till you make it. <laughs> We've also got to a stage now, especially in the West, that we're scared of failure. So rather than trying and failing, I just won't try. At least then I don't fail. If you don't try, it means you're not living a full life. And there's nothing wrong in failing. I think so many things I've tried, that only becomes a problem when you keep failing the same thing. Because that means you're not learning. That means you're making the same mistakes. But if you try something and you fail, the first thing you should say to yourself is, what can I learn from this? Because I don't want to do that thing. And then learn from it and try again. You might fail again. Fine. The question then again, what did I do wrong this time? And it was that. And there's nothing wrong in failing because failing is how you discover how not to do things. There's a lesson in that. But we become so pampered and so afraid and so scared that it's easier never to try because then you never fail. But I would argue, you never live, and it means you can't ever achieve. Because to achieve, you've got to risk failure. Absolutely. If you don't try something new, you don't grow. And if you try something new, you will fail. But 
learn lessons and do it better, figure it out. Absolutely. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I think I'd like to be able to show people quick idea of their future if they keep making those same mistakes and making those same decisions. So to be able to say, bang, and suddenly you're looking at your life 10 years from now and you're behind bars or your children have discovered your heroin and swallowed it and now your seven-year-old daughter's dying on the bed because she swallowed it. I want want to show people the mistakes they're making will have consequences not only to their lives, but the people they love around them. Because I think if they can see further enough into the future, that would be the kick up the backside most people would need to start making better decisions. I say to young people all the time, if 10 years from now, if I'm walking down the street and I turn a corner and two police officers have got you against a wall and they're arresting you and they're pulling out a big bag of cocaine out of your pocket, I say to them, whose fault's that? And they always go, it's my fault for selling cocaine. If I turn a corner 10 years from now and you're in a car with your wife and two children, and you call me over and you tell me how good your life is. Who takes responsibility for that? And they always go, oh, um, and they always go, you take responsibility. That, that means you make good decisions. So it's easy to take responsibility for the bad stuff that happens to you, but you also need to take responsibility for the good stuff. Because good stuff doesn't happen by accident. You've got to pave the way for that good stuff to happen to you. And... That's what I want to see with young people I work with. I want to see them 10 years from now, married, with children, half-decent job. And that's a success to me. Not if they're a doctor, not if they're a lawyer, not if they're a millionaire. They can be stacking shelves at Tesco's. But if that's a full-time legal job and they've got children and they're happy, they're paying their own bills, that's a success in life. But sometimes we, we tell people you're only a success if you've been to university, if you're a millionaire, if you are big, and these are all false aims. Being a millionaire doesn't make you happy. Look at all the millionaires that kill themselves, all the Hollywood stars who kill themselves. They've got everything, fame, fortune, women to bone themselves out, and they kill themselves. You've got to pave the way to a good life. And one of the ways of getting a good life is taking responsibility for other people. Hence why you need a partner and why you need children. Because once you've got children, you're not the priority anymore. You're working hard for them. You're not working hard for to buy a new phone or new trainers. You're working hard because you want the best for them. And the more you achieve for them, that makes you, it's not materialistic stuff that makes you happy. It's having a purpose in life that you're fulfilling. That makes you happy. I think that is so true. And I hope that superpower could come to you and to others who need it to show us the consequence of our decisions right now. And I really like that about taking that responsibility for yourself and being confident in the good decisions you make as well as the not so good decisions Mm -hmm. and hopefully learning from that and sharing that with other people because so that other people can learn from you and not make those decisions perhaps. To end the podcast, is there a funny story or maybe a heartwarming story you'd like to share with listeners? Don't have any funny stories because the work we do is not funny. (laughs) Um... I can tell you, I'll be, able to, I'll be able to think of a really good result of something that, that, that we've achieved. Um, the best result we've had. I've mentioned about some of the serious stuff we've done, about stopping girls being raped and pulling people out of organised crime. And that happens a few times a year. 
But our bread and butter work is the stuff that nobody ever sees and that nobody would ever imagine leads to a better life. A couple of years ago, we were working in Cheatham Hill in North Manchester, the Tories for drugs and gangs and crime. One day, working with a group of teenagers playing football with them and using football as a way of having serious conversations. And one of the lads, 17, came up to us and said, he's got a bit of a problem. He told us he's still got friends in Cheetah Mill who he's playing football with, and he knows they're involved in criminality. And he's constantly worried that one day he's going to be stood with it and something's going to happen. Someone's going to come along and stab somebody or shoot somebody, and he's going to get involved in that and either die or get injured or get arrested because his mate's got a gun on him or something like that. And he's at college. He's gone, this is going to ruin my life. But they're my friends, and you know, we're 17 now. I've been playing with these boys since I was four. I can't just walk away from them and not be with them anymore. They're my friends. I've grew up with them. So over several weeks, we had several conversations about his college friends and about loyalty, and we came up with a bit of a plan. Not for him, but with him. And the plan was, when you see these boys locally, here are your friends, stop and have a chat but you don't need to go out in the evenings to socialise with them. And when they ask you why not, the answer is easy. It's my last year of college. I've got so much work to do. And at weekends, why don't you start going and spending some time with your college friends where they live? That gets you out the neighbourhood. And then it also gives you an excuse why you're not hanging around with your old friend. But you don't have to lose friendships with them. You don't have to disrespect them. You don't have to ignore them. You just have to be in the area as much time and we had this conversation over weeks and then we stopped seeing it and then six months later we bumped into it and he said i took that advice i've not socialized on the streets down here for six months i'm now spending every evening doing homework my grades have improved because i've got my old level my at the end of summer and the weekends i'm visiting my friends where i got to college with and we're studying together now at their houses at weekends and he said it was the best thing i've ever done my grades are improving and I'm going to get better grades now, get to a better university. And I'm not afraid anymore that I'm going to get killed or I'm going to be arrested. Now, that's not sexy. That's not Superman or Batman saving Gotham City. That's one 17-year-old lad that we've helped him understand and helped him pave the way to a better future. And that took months and months of work, but it worked for him. And like I said before, we have more failures than successes, but that's changed his life. And when he now gets married and has children, his children won't be repeating the same mistakes he made because he'll make sure that they, he'll make sure they've got a better upbringing. They're living in a better area. And some of the work we do is about breaking that generational cycle of dysfunctionality. If you're brought up a certain way, that's all you know. And if we allow you to bring up your children that same way, that's all they will know. And somewhere along the line, you've got to bring the cycle and you do it one person at a time. That is a lovely story. And absolutely this thing of the generational cycle, as well as the fact that he can be a positive role model to his friends and to his children and other influences, colleagues or wherever he goes. So absolutely very nice story. And what a great note to end the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for the conversation. Nick, I really enjoyed learning about supporting the youth today. 
Dear listener, I hope you were inspired by today's episode and it sparks your passion to make change happen wherever you live and work. Next week on Tuesday, 23rd January 2024, I speak to Mona Musa about supporting refugees and asylum seekers. I would also like to extend a heartfelt thank you to our community for your support and feedback. Your stories inspire this podcast. Share your thoughts at www.meetthemancunian.co.uk because this podcast is your platform too. Connect on socials at the rate Meet the Mancunian on Instagram and Facebook and at the rate Mancunian Pod on Twitter. This is more than a podcast, it's a community. Spread the love, share, comment and let's keep building Manchester up. To the podcast's amazing listeners and supporters, you are the true heroes. Keep thriving, keep connecting and remember the power of change lies within us.